Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast, the Culture Edit Reloaded. I'm Sandra Patel, founder and CEO of Transition Partners. This season, I'm flying solo as I sit down with international leaders to discuss their leadership journeys and how they have embedded a thriving and positive culture. Welcome back to our Let's Talk Leadership podcast, The Culture Edit. My name is Sandra Patel and I'm delighted to be back here today recording with Matthias Log. Sorry, I don't know if I've pronounced that. That's all good. That's all good. Matthias Log, yes. (laughs) Fantastic. You said it way better than I did. Um, fantastic. So I'd really love to welcome you. Um, so Matthias is the co-founder and former CTO of Tier Mobility, um, who are the world's leading shared micro-mobility provider. Prior to Tier, um, he was co-founder and CTO of the food delivery startup, Ferrando. <laughs> I'm going to struggle a little bit here with the lingo, aren't I? Um, and later CTO of the tech unicorn Takeaway.com. Matthias has pledged to invest all of his proceeds into companies that are founded by underrepresented my- minorities, which is fantastic. Um, I'd love to hear more about that later on as well. Um, and he's currently an angel investor in more than 10 companies, um, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so it'd be great to, um, you know, we're all very much um, about giving back to the community and adding value, which obviously seems like it aligns with your um, background and, and experience as well. So it'd be really great to hear more about that. Um, and I'm sure it'll come up a bit later on. Um, but before we do that, um, obviously, you've got a vast amount of experience um, from the funding side. I think before we go into any of that, it'd be really good to just, if you could give our listeners and, and viewers a really quick snapshot of how your career started um, and just a little bit about that journey to how you got to where you are today. Yes, of course. Happy to. Uh, so first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it's uh, it's always it's always a pleasure uh, to talk about this journey. Um, so where, where did it all start? Um, I came to Berlin uh, at around two thousand and seven, um, shortly after uh, finishing school, and um, I had no idea about the startup system. Um, I'm coming from an area where, if you start a business, it's usually a plumbing business or a tile business or something hands-on, uh, construction areas, industry, chemics, etc. Um, and when I came to Berlin, um, I only through the encounter with Ferrando, I figured, okay, um, you can start a business differently as well. Um, so I was actually in the middle of my studies. Uh, I did computer science at the time, and um, I was approached uh, with the other co-founders from uh, Lee Ferrando uh, via uh, Xing. And um, I stumbled into it, thought it's going to be a project for a couple of months. Um, uh, building uh, the platform um, as it was supposed to uh, go into scaling mode and um, yeah after three months I figured okay maintenance takes a little bit longer adding new feature requests are coming infrequently um, and um, yeah I, I stayed with the team and uh, I never regret that decision because uh, it was a blast it, uh, it showed me a different world and also got a lot of excitement into um, 
behind to the profession that I was um, uh, working towards and previous encounters uh, in uh, tech companies were rather stiff and formal. After seven years, it was also important for me to actually validate all the things that I did before. Um, one um, yeah, of the, let's call them downsides um, at Leverando is it, it, it's, it's hard to understand what you did right and what you did wrong. Um, the business was continuously growing. The business was successful. We just hit a niche. Uh, it was a simple thing such as uh, online payments um, to add, which was new in the sector. Um, and the business was growing, was successful. We got investment in. And uh, afterwards, it's been really hard to tell. Um, did I do all the things right? What was good? What in another business in a more fierce competition or even more fierce competition would have gone terribly sideways? So I wanted to learn. And ThoughtWorks, specifically in the tech industry, is just a renowned company. Um, the past 20 years has been um, heavily shaped by, um, by them and their, their alumni. And um, I wanted to be able to see different things constantly without quitting employees. Um, consultancy is then the right thing to do. Um, that was two years. Uh, got a little bit tickly fingers again. Um, that was the point. Uh, when my co-founder of Mtia, Lawrence, uh, was reaching out, uh, we knew each other over a couple of edges, but yeah, Berlin is quite incestuous. It's, uh, there's a lot of, um, everyone knows each other. Yeah. And um, therefore, uh, I knew the CTO from his previous company, Rebuy. Uh, he was just on the world trip, uh, reached out, hey, I heard you looking for uh, a CTO position. All right, let's do this. Uh, we, we met on uh, the Temple of Feld here in Berlin. Um, it clicked right away, and um, yeah, this is how we went then into TN. and there's five years in the making. Everything was at a higher pace. Everything was 10 times, um, which took me as a surprise in the beginning, but after a couple of um, months, it just, was just so joyful, uh, but it also took a toll. Um, it's, uh, this, this kind of pace can eat you up, uh, but... Uh, I, I enjoyed my time with the company. Yeah, fantastic, brilliant. Um, so you've obviously had a huge, huge amount of experience around founding companies as well, and quite a lot of our, um, you know, we have we have a really varied audience in terms of listeners and views. You know, we have people that are, um, you know, aspirational and kind of really look to people like yourself as to you know how they can follow in your footsteps. But then we also have. Um, a number of um, co-founders, CTOs, you know, C-level um, people in our network as well that just really enjoy, um, you know, bouncing off and, and um, others and, and building their networks as well. So I think it'd be really interesting with that experience that you have around founding companies to um, talk, delve a little bit more detail into what comparisons you can make between founding both takeaway.com and tier mobility in terms of like the size, the approach you said with tier, it was like, you know, I think you kind of alluded to like, there's only so much that you can kind of do before. I don't think you use the word, but you can get burnout as well, can't you? So it'd be quite interesting to understand like how you dealt with those situations, the whole stress and pressure of it all as well. But what, Initially, what comparisons would you make between the two and, and how, how successful they've both been as well? Yeah, so there, there is um, differences, but also similarities um, that I definitely actually want to highlight. Like, first of all, you can't do it alone. 
um, if, if you're a single founder or you find yourself to be the only committed person, um, that's a terrible situation to be in. And I can only encourage everyone um, to find your peers, to find the people that you love to work with, love to thrive with, love to grow with, and uh, go on this journey together. This is definitely one of the similarities um, that there are. But then it's definitely understanding the pace. Um, uh, Leave Rondo was high pace, Tia was high pace, yet a high pace 10 years ago, 10 high pace uh, right now. So completely different ball game. Um, specifically in the tech sector, the ecosystem has developed and progressed so much that you have so much tooling out of the box that you can just put into place, integrate, white label solution, platforms, and um, there's there's so much that you don't need to do anymore. Uh, and that allows for a whole different pace. And that understanding um, the pace of the company that you're in right now uh, allows you to do very good strategic decisions. Um, at Leferando, I was able to um, build a highly talented team, uh, but all of them were juniors at that point in time. Or from today's perspective, all of them had a couple of years um, already in the sector, but uh, none of them had built um, application at scale. And we went on this journey together. We had the time for that. Um, again, it was fast-paced environment, um, yet it was not that fast. Um, that it didn't allow um, to grow together as a team to try things out, to fail also, and then revamp and um, do it all over again. While at here there was a lot of seniority involved, and we also knew that, that the pace that we wanted to go, there's specifically the um, like the early day mistakes that we need to avoid, uh, that we can avoid through bringing in experience, bringing in not only talented but also skilled people that have done this before, and combine them with people who want to go on this journey. Uh, that was a major difference bringing in um, high senior people, but also having the capital um, to do this and acquire them. I could also leverage my own name. Um, that was obviously something very um, gratifying um, that I called up a couple of people that I've been working with. That would have allowed you to escalate that pace as well, um, wouldn't it? Having Indeed. Having been there, done it before and built a strong network. Yeah, I find it is, um, you need to have a good mix of them. If, if the entire team has been there, done that, um, you might pretty uh, quickly fall into um, the trap of um, um, trying to repeat what you've done before. Uh, you have to combine it with a couple of people um, that also want to go on the new journey, give new input, give new feedbacks, give new impressions, or just ask the silly questions, uh, but allow you to know to reflect on um, the things that you do that you might have done differently, um, or have been done the same um, at the previous company. So there are dangers as much as there's upsides um, uh, to it. And having a good combination of that helped definitely a lot. But there were far more senior people and people that have uh, done scaling platforms before um, that um, had joined me on tier. Um, the other part is ah, keeping the frugality. Um, the Ferrando Times, even though we got investment, was always money was always scarce still. Um, we hadn't had much to invest in all directions um, and still we needed to show a certain kind of growth. Uh, at here, uh, specifically the point where SoftBank came in, there was a bit of the luxury problem, okay, how do we, do we invest this money now properly to generate the growth? So there was way more options and less um, concerns about having enough money in the bank account. And if you don't stay frugal, to yourself and say the presence of money in the bank account doesn't mean you need to just spend it all. It needs to be valuable. It needs to have return of investment. It needs to um, 
um, to be fruitful. If you stay frugal throughout this time, uh, it helps you specifically because there will different times come and they came. Um, and whether it's through external factors or internally, you're just like focusing more on the core, but any startup eventually goes into this, uh, into this curve where they need to downsize, right size and um, understand what is the area that I actually consider core and where I want to make my profits with, what are the areas that we continue to experiment or what things just have failed for us and the diversification hasn't really happened. We have to stop this now. That um, just brought me on to a good um, question, actually, that I think is worth, um, that's quite relevant for the current market and economy. Um, you know, unfortunately, sadly, there's a number of businesses, particularly in tech, um, that are having to downsize. Um, and, um, you know, I've seen it. Um, we, do, we do a lot of work um, in Germany, specifically Munich and, and Berlin, um, and also in the UK. And, our, you know, we've seen it. Um, quite a lot over the last three to six months. There's a, a, you know, I don't know what the stats are around it, but there's, there's been a, a number of redundancies, um, which is, is obviously really sad. But um, it'd be really, I think it might be interesting to hear from yourself when you've been in those situations. What are your kind of what are your top tips on managing? Um, downsizing you know like it's obviously not a very nice thing to have to do it's not a great position to be in um but there are you know i've i've had experience of that myself as well and and you know i think there's there's the right way and there's the potentially the wrong way there's you know there's there's different ways that um you can manage um, these situations so it might be interesting to our listeners and viewers at this current you know time to, to if you've got any wisdom you can share <laughs> this is a complex scenario there's if i look for example at the layoffs at uh, facebook um, and similar those i don't understand uh, as profitable companies um they have also hired to drain uh, the talent pool to avoid the next facebook the next google so it was part of the strategy uh, I think they also need to live up to it. So the, the downsizing and the layoffs were to satisfy investors to make more money. This doesn't really resonate with me. I can understand um, that this is the mechanics that we work in, but this is uh, I, have, I have a tough time um, to really say this is a right way to go. Um, then there are other factors. And um, I think I said in one of the previous sentences already, um, if you need to downsize or if you need to right size, um, specifically for a startup, this time eventually always comes. Whether you're successful and profitable, it always comes. And if you run the business correctly, you should actually do this every year. Not to just simply lay off and, to, and, and, and still feel that everyone could be laid off, but just um, there are things that are not worth for the company to pursue anymore, that we tried out, that we need to stop. And if we don't do this, um, the... Um, the, the layoff that might eventually happen due to external factors or uh, to right size um, hits you way harder because you've carried a lot of baggage with you. But that aside, emotionally, it's draining. And um, it's, it's never nice to tell someone, even in a privileged sector such as tech, where people will easily find a new job, um, it's, um, it's a tough method to transport because uh, despite their financial security um, and the likes, um, it's still a message of, uh, we don't have a place for you anymore inside of the company. And if you have people that have a strong attachment to the people they've been working with, this is either way, um, 
uh, a difficult message, emotionally even a more difficult message sometimes um, uh, than others. But um, you need to have the talks, you need to have it, um, you need to have a good storyline, you need to have a good understanding, be honest, be transparent, um, and don't do too many at the same day. Um, this means offload this to your leadership team, let everyone do it. Um, I've seen a lot of people trying to, hey, I want to protect my team, I'm going to do all the conversations, but you're done then. You're really done, and that's also not good for the people that need to hear this uh, message. Um, it should be equally distributed. Help out the other departments if they have more layoffs to also take over the calls. Um, like the rule of thumb that we had, nobody should have more than eight or ten calls uh, on the day that we needed to make the announcement. Um, and the other piece of wisdom is, yes, um, listen to what legal says, um, but go a little bit also with your own gut feeling uh, what is right. And does everything need to be 100% compliant? Or do you um, want to do the right thing for the people? Such as, when do you communicate this? Um, do you announce it first and then go into the individual calls, um, which would be the most compliant way to go? Or do you have the call when everyone who's impacted is already in the known? Yeah. Um, because culturally, this is such a tough thing to handle. Um, that if you do the call and then you need to have the meetings, because everyone knows any meeting happening afterwards with my uh, leadership team is going to be a shitty meeting. Um, and um, a lot of people are waiting then for the emails, like, oh, do, uh, do I get something? And that is something that I would also recommend uh, to avoid. Go the way that um, when everyone is being informed, the people impacted are informed already and are in the known. And be comfortable with having those people inside of your call um, because that's a little bit of a smell test. How did you do it? Are you comfortable that those people are still in the call? If the answer is yes, you seem to have done it right. And you also are comfortable facing the music. And um, I think that helped specifically at Tier to get through those um, two layoffs um, well. Right, um, and it, it didn't have too long of an impact besides the concerns in general, where's the company going? Yeah, yeah, and I think if you, you know, not, not long afterwards, reinforcing the positives around where the company is going and the values, the vision, the purpose, um, I think that's also really important, um, you know, the, the cultural um, aspect, the impact on culture and people longer term that are exactly. existing people is really important one to manage and it can be really tricky. Um, which brings me nicely on to my next question actually. Um, can you make any recommendations to our technology leaders when it comes to scaling at pace while also retaining a positive culture um, and avoiding unwanted attrition? Obviously, that's the other um, aspect. No, absolutely. Um, I always, I was always proud of um, the high retention that we had at Tia and Adley for Rondo. Um, so specifically at Tia, I put a lot of thought before into it. Why was it that people um, stuck with me and um, loved to stay in the company through good and bad? And um, I think part of it is the, um, the leadership approach and understanding what is your role. 
And here specifically to um, tech leaders, CTOs, VPs, etc., or like early joiners who make it uh, and growing with the company, you always need to understand that your role changes on a, at least yearly basis, specifically in a high pace environment. Um, in the beginning, you might be um, heavy down in the code, programming with the team, uh, delivering features, maintaining features, <clears throat> helping with bug fixes and whatnot. As much as you're doing strategy and planning um, for the long term, the moment the team grows, you also need to understand how to step back without losing touch. And that's usually the difficulty um, to understand. I just don't, I should not make a step to the uh, back. I should also make a step to the side and understand that I need to approach things now completely differently, such as I shouldn't tell people anymore how to do things, but I should at least give them a clear framework um, that helps them also in my absence that they did it well. Um, so as a CTO, if you have a good CTO at your site, um, usually you're responsible for the how and when. So how do you implement things and when can you implement them? Um, so quality output at pace is the metric that you should um, have in place. And I'm a firm believer of the four key metrics that have been introduced in the book Accelerate, also written by some of the alumni from ThoughtWorks, um, where a measurement has been introduced, how you identify high-performing teams. Mm -hmm. And those metrics are independent of the tech stack. And this is an aspect in where a leader should understand this is what I should focus on now to tell my people, this is what I appreciate as performance. But if you can deliver this performance by using, I don't care, Python uh, with Django or uh, Node.js, TypeScript, whatnot, um, it is within their realm to de make this decision. While they cannot decide are they performing well or not, they can only see are they performing well or not. It's not an anecdotal or a conversational topic anymore. Um, if they're not complying to the measurements that have been put in place, then um, they're not doing well. So for a leader to understand, I should have a conversation with my peers about the impact on those metrics and not my personal opinion whether I like this framework or not. In conversations, rather, do you really believe you can deliver on the performance that I expect from you with this framework? I have my doubts. Because then you can actually do truly the um, disagree and commit, which is only an actual thing if it goes downwards um, the hierarchy. Disagree and commit going upwards um, is a bit of a weird thing because it's literally top-down management. But if I as a leader say, I disagree to that approach, I believe it's going to hit your numbers negatively, but I commit to give you the resources uh, to do this uh, because you have the conviction around this. Mm. And I'm going to look very careful on the metrics and I'm going to check in with you on a weekly basis and see if the metrics uh, are going to downwards. And if that is something um, that happens, we know you have been wrong. And then it's okay. And then we pivot. Um, so this is really important, I believe, for leaders to actually understand what is the role inside um, of a fast-scaling business. Another area would be keeping, staying close to the business. That is specifically one that I always tell myself, I have a hard time myself to lift up on a daily basis. Um, as a CTO, you love tech. Mm -hmm. You want to involve yourself in tech. Yeah. And you also have a hard time finding other peers in your C-level that can actually talk to you on the tech level. Yeah. And so the result is usually, you don't understand what I'm doing. Um, so... I'm just uh, staying for, my, uh, for myself and becoming kind of a service agency for the entire company. And that results in very, very negative culture. That uh, results in 
Um, I don't know what's happening in tech. Um, they are doing slow things. Um, they're not doing the quality right. They don't understand the priority. And that usually happens if you decouple yourself from the remaining on the C-level. And I've been victim of this myself, and I always had to remind myself um, that whenever somebody is claiming that, that I need to take this as a, as a cue to look into how do I actually get involved um, with the other departments, because tech is everywhere. And tech has an influence on the entire business. And if you don't respect this and you just wait for others to tell you that this is something um, that needs to be done, um, you're actually putting your own priorities in jeopardy because you're not getting involved with um, forecasting that those uh, priorities might come in. And then they're only for you as a surprise, as a CTO, and that should be avoided. So that's definitely a strong recommendation um, that I could give to any of the tech leaders out there. Fantastic. Brilliant. That's really valuable. Um, and is there any advice that you could give to other technology leaders also around successfully integrating product and engineering teams? Because I think, you know, that that can often, because of the nature and the personalities as well, I think, of the two teams and the roles can be quite a tricky one to achieve. I have been blessed with having to do that both at Leferando and um, <clears throat> at, uh, at TIA. At Leferando, we have been the acquiring parties. So I was actually sitting on the other side of the table, yeah. which is really valuable insight um, because it makes you quite empathetic for what's going on and the fear that you have on is it going the direction, um, but also to get understanding on how do the dynamics work now. Um, mm. Integrating teams is specifically in tech where everyone is very critical everyone values the openness and transparency that is expected specifically is to be zero bullshit um when we acquired um next bike the zero bullshit meant for me i'm going to be honest and upfront with the leadership team there about the, which one is the prevailing tech stack so there's no conversation that's compare the things now on the deep like can we even which is like combine the best of the two worlds i think this is utter bullshit specifically both um both tech stacks represent literally a very similar product it's not a, a niche company that you've bought that has a very specific feature that you want to integrate it's a whole different uh, mindset so going there and telling them which one is the prevailing stack and also being honest about this. And my argument was very simple. I said, it is going to be easier for me to onboard 20 people on the tier stack than 150 people on the next bike stack. Mm -hmm. And that is what I'm going with. So I'm going to tell you the tier stack is going to be the prevailing one and everything is going to end there. That was the first message. But then there's also the message of appreciation because then you, you want to avoid that people just drop or feeling that this stack is underrepresented. Hey, your stack, until further notice, is still the money-making stack. You're going to make money with that stack. So we need to set it up in the way that we can maintain and migrate towards um, the tier stack without disruption of the business. And this is then the tough one. Um, and then last but not least, having an honest conversation also with the C-level, is it actually the priority? Is business growth now the priority or is synergies the priority? Both are really, really hard to achieve in tech and parallel and usually fail. Either you spend another time to integrate and then go on uh, towards from this point 
or you continue with the business as is to fulfill the business plan. This is something we struggled at TIA a lot because we pitched the business plan for both TIA and Nextbike that assumed full occupation of the capacity available. And now everyone is asking, and when do we do the migration? Oh, it's so hard that we need to do it at um, two points all the time. It's like, yeah, but that's what we decided for. We went for growth at the expense of um, synergies that we wanted to have. And um, therefore, it's absolutely fine if a stack is lingering around for a longer time, as long as it is aligned. Coming back to that recommendation, stay close to the business. Because as a CTO, I also need to understand, does the business have more value in continuing to grow the business as is with the existing tech stack? Or do I have more um, value from integrating them? But then being able also to argue for that and understanding and calculate what is in for the company. Brilliant. Um, and finally, I think it'd be really um, great to hear about what your what you feel your most important. Um, I was going to say what your most important leadership lesson is of twenty twenty two, but I'd like to just kind of open that up to what are your like key important lessons within leadership say maybe around the sort of last yeah. two or three years we've obviously had some you know we've had some challenging times to deal with um and i don't know about you i mean covid for example really affected my leadership um style and and lessons that i've learned i've learned more lessons from a leadership point of view in the last two or three years than i had you know five ten years prior to that um so, yeah, I think, yeah, I'd like to kind of extend it beyond that and kind of, yeah. Sure. What your key lessons do you think you've learned? Um, key lessons. Uh, be aware of the decision fatigue. Um, this is something that I specifically felt victim to um, where more and more decisions, specifically in those times where everything has been thrown at you, you get a curveball after a curveball. Uh, COVID hits, Ukrainian war, supply chains disrupted, um, energy crisis and whatnot. Um, so many um, important decisions out of the sun come to you. And usually if, uh, if you're in a business, you get important decisions to make, but they are limited and one at a time. And that's a good thing. But in those times, you get a lot of those. And if you're not able to delve into those and make the decision, you're ending up eventually doing none of them. And defaulting even to only doing the simple decisions around or mitigation decisions. And um, that hurt me a lot, specifically last year, um, when more and more things landed on my table. And eventually I was really just struck with um, the situation of recognizing, where do I start now? And at that point where you realize um, you're actually putting not only your mental health, but also the company's success in danger. Um, so that's definitely uh, one of the biggest learning to avoid those things and being able to cut out the noise, focus on this one topic and get it done as hard, as simple as this uh, recommendation sounds, as hard it is. Um, because you need to tell people, it is not my priority now. I'm not going to help you. Either you're going to figure it out by yourself, then you make a decision for yourself that this is your number one priority. My number one priority is this, right? Um, the, 
The other areas is like the understanding of social capital, um, that there is, there's a glue that keeps people together that even in a growing company makes people love to go to the office and do their utmost best work for the company. And, um, like in a relationship, things happen where your partner is being disappointed and you need to be able to overcome those situations. But also, specifically, if it's a conscious decision that you know you're going to disappoint that person and in a professional landscape, that is, you're not going to get that promotion. You're not going to get that salary raise. You're not going to get this new area of responsibility. Um, no, this is going to be your priority. Uh, all of this come along with a certain disappointment or disgruntlement. And specifically in the big decisions to always decide, is it worth it? What is to lose? Because fixing those areas is significantly harder and you can afford, and that's why the concept of social capital, only so much of it. Eventually, you lose the cohesion of the team. And in times of COVID, and that's why I learned specifically there about it, um, you require the social capital in a remote setup to keep the people engaging together. Otherwise, you're going to silently lose them. And this is not because they don't like to be with the company anymore, but the decision to go to another company is out of the sudden so easy. Because what the people also give up when they go to another company is that social capital. I have a network inside of the company. I have people I love to work with. I get the appreciation. I am in a field of interest that I love to do. It's very rewarding what I'm doing. Um, but if all of those aspects... I do not see anymore. They might be present, but I do not see them anymore because the infrequent or um, a tap on the shoulder that um, happens inside of the office, which came naturally to some, there was a leadership approach of some, disappears now. And people lack to substitute this now in a remote setup. And you lose people. Um, so big learning is to invest into social capital. And in a remote setup, it's an active investment. Lots of things that we've grew up as that we learned as children that just come naturally to interact with people don't work in a remote setup. And um, you need to find your ideas, your approaches um, to substituting those. Fantastic. Brilliant. Great. Well, um, I really enjoyed that. Um, really, really interesting um, conversation. I think I'd like to just, I think we've got a little bit of time for just one more. Sure. Is you, such an impressive background you've achieved and accomplished. I mean, your parents that once believed you may not finish university and wondered why you were um, working in the, the food industry um, I, I, I must be very, very proud of what everything that you've, you know, what you've become, what you've achieved. Um, what's next for you? What's like, is there anything that you can share about what's next for you? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, um, no, that's the, like, I, I made the decision to leave here also uh, for personal health reason that I, because I knew if I'm going to continue at the pace that is going into the year with the decision fatigue also that I've um, just described, um, mm. it's not going to end well for me. And I'm, I'm lucky, I was luckily old enough um, to recognize and, um, um, yeah, make this decision, which is obviously a tough one because your biggest opponent is yourself at that moment. Yeah. 
Um, so I promised myself also um, to not uh, go into any big engagements, uh, even thoughts before May, June, and then see what's happening. There's definitely going to be something next. Um, I'm um, like those tickling fingers um, that I had at, uh, at ThoughtWorks, they will eventually reappear, but I also want to be confident that I'm able to balance this between the pace that we need to go as a company, um, the responsibility I give, therefore, also towards the company, but also the responsibility that I have as a, um, as a um, father, as a partner to my wife. Um, and uh, um, this is something where I specifically struggled a lot because I'm a, I think I'm very German at that. Uh, it's very easy to always decide to work first, um, and it's so hard to prioritize um, my daughter, my partner, and um, yeah. that I want to, exactly, yeah, see, like, I still need to put myself in the equation as well, and um, uh, before I'm feeling confident that I manage this, I'm not going to jump into something else, and there's one thing that I'm actually investing time into. There's lots of conversations uh, with others that are in similar positions at the start, in the network talks. This is something that is giving me a lot back to just challenge the ideas that I'm past, to challenge the ideas that I go forward, and actually write together my operating system. This is something that I've missed, uh, specifically at the high pace uh, time last year, where Lots of things have been thrown at you, and I didn't have a playbook necessarily for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't have just a one pager that gave me a guidance on this is how I do it. This is the questions that I need to ask myself. This is the structure that you follow. This is the time you should give yourself for it. Um, a lot of things have to be done uh, out of gut feeling, out of past experience, but then within hours put together. And then they sometimes um, lack the extra thought uh, into the process and into actually getting it done. And that is what I want to actually write together first before there is any further um, engagement that I'm going to entertain. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you, you're doing the right thing by yourself, your family. That's what's most important. And you've achieved so much, you can definitely afford to take a bit of time to focus on on you and your family so um yeah it's really refreshing as well to hear um that that's that's what you're doing um it's i think often we all um put work first um you know particularly when we're um you know kind of business-minded entrepreneurial and like you say getting tickly fingers itchy feet like you know I'm, i'm very similar in that i'm always constantly thinking about new things new ideas new ways of doing things and um, you know, I think you just got to sometimes stop and take that time to take stock of what's what's really important. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you again very, very much for um, all your valuable, um, for sharing your valuable insights, your story, your experiences. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. And I personally have, have taken um, quite a few takeaways from this uh, recording as well. Um if our listeners and viewers would like to contact you um, or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, that's definitely LinkedIn by these days. Um, I haven't um, maintained it in a long time, but I'm keeping my eye there again open uh, because I actually saw that I missed a lot of uh, people that I actually would have loved to chat um, when I logged in again after a long time. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, yeah, well, thank you very much and um, good luck and, and enjoy your time off as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to our latest Let's Talk Leadership. 
the Culture Edit Reloaded podcast. If you are a leader interested in being on the hot seat, contact me via LinkedIn. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Take care and see you all soon.